This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. God gave them instruction for everyday life so that again, the world around them would see, wow, that is a peculiar people. They're not like we are. Well, it's the same declaration for you and I. We're to be that peculiar people. And Paul speaks to us about that. That the world should look at us and say, we're different than everyone else. Because of the choices that we make. Because of the, the peace that we have. Because of the foundation of our lives. All of these things. We are often confronted with choices every moment. But one choice overshadows them all. The choice to leave our flesh behind and commit to a life following Jesus. What we don't often spend much time contemplating is the choice of our God. He chose to predestine us through adoption to be His people. His love and compassion has made a way for us to leave our old selves behind, to be reborn in Him. So live your life in a way that represents a chosen child of God, a light of His love for all to see. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3. And he writes this. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. The Bible also teaches that people can make choices. If you try to merge the two ideas, you'll distort the truth. If you try to remove all tension between the two, You'll destroy one or the other of the truths, and possibly both of them. We say there's an apparent mutually exclusive truth, because the truths cannot actually be mutually exclusive. And what he means by mutually exclusive is, in essence, you have to have one or the other. You either have to have the predestination, you have to have the sovereignty of God, or you have to have free will. And he says that's not necessarily true. They both exist in the Word of God. Thus he continues. He says, if they were mutually exclusive, in other words, not able to have both of them at the same time, if they were mutually exclusive, then God would become the author of the impossible and perhaps even of nonsense. Why? Because both of them are in his Word. Why would he put both of them in it? He writes on, he says, they appear, they appear to us as mutually exclusive because of a limitation either of our information or intelligence, or both. The two truths are not mutually exclusive to God. He has them both. So, how do we deal with that? Do we have to commit intellectual suicide in order to say, okay, yeah, I'll I'll take both of them. I just throw, you know, logic out the window. No, I don't believe that you have to commit intellectual suicide to be able to receive them. And here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, an infinite revelation, an infinite revelation will always take a finite mind beyond its intelligence. I'll say it again. Infinite revelation will always take a finite mind beyond its intelligence. Now, if you understand that, some of you have dogs. I know some of you have dogs. (laughs) I know that you don't call them dogs. You call them sweetie or 
lovey do or uh, uh, <laughs> spot. They're, they're you're like your children, and some of you, some of the strangest of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> as you can tell, I don't have one. Uh, but uh, you, you've trained your dog. Your dog can do a multitude of things. Your dog can uh, go and fetch your uh, slippers, or it can it can roll over and play dead. It can do all kinds of stuff. You've trained it through the dog's intellect. Okay. I dare say none of your dogs, and, and I, I, I don't want to, again, offend you at all on the intelligence of your dog, but none of your dogs will ever be a physics professor. <laughs> just incapable, just incapable, because they are limited in their intelligence. I know your dog isn't, but most dogs are limited in their intelligence. In the same way, we, in our finite mind, there's no way we can comprehend some of these truths to the utmost, because it is an infinite revelation. Take, for instance, the fact that most New Testament-believing evangelical churches stand by the doctrine of the Trinity. And yet to logically and clearly define the Trinity is, is an endless task. It's, it's nearly impossible. Why? Because it is an infinite concept, and we try to explain it in our finite minds. And don't tell me about, you know, water, steam, and ice. It doesn't work that way. Don't speak to me about the fact that I'm a grandfather, a father, and a son all at the same time. That's not the same as the Trinity. Don't tell me about the egg. You've got the eggshell, you've got the yolk, and you've got the white of the egg. It's not the same as the Trinity. We see it within Scripture, but to be able to explain it in a, in a very clear and fully understandable way, it is an infinite concept that we try to pull into our finite mind. The second reason that I don't believe that we commit intellectual suicide by believing that there's both free will and also predestination or the choice or in the election of God is, is that if we know anything about God, we've got to realize that we will never know everything about God this side of eternity. As a matter of fact, the, the more we learn of God, the more grand he becomes. The deeper we go into our study of God, the, the wider the, the expanse of who he is. And that's why we have to come to the place where the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I think Paul just kind of got to that. Man, God is just so far beyond our comprehension. We can't even begin to get there. Quickly, the, the third reason for the fact that we don't commit intellectual suicide is, if we attempt to present the concept of God's plans and God's purposes into a tidy little box of six or five or seven points, then we've created for ourselves what's been called a manageable deity. 
we brought God down to a form that, that now we can grasp, we can understand, and in essence we control by our logic how God moves and how God doesn't move. And that's a dangerous place to be. Therefore, I don't believe that it's intellectual suicide to say that the Bible teaches both human free will and divine election. I don't fully understand it, but I have no problem embracing them both. So having said that, we need to understand that what we're going to be looking at in these verses does not negate the other. Some have shared with me the way that they best understand this whole idea of predestination and free will is as we go into heaven across the, the, the top of the gates entering into heaven, there's this big sign that declares, whosoever will may come. And then as you walk through that gate and you turn around and you look at the back side of it and it says chosen before the foundation of the world. That's a nice, easy way to understand it, but Again, it's, it's, it's not the fullness of it. We understand that. And, but that's fine. I, I have no problem with that. We come to an understanding that it's the choice of God in the past, working in our choice of the present, looking toward a completed work in the future. And that's the way it has to be. So the verses, verses 4, 5, 6, as we look at those, we've already covered verse 3. But again, as we move on, verse 4 says, Just as he chose us. The, that's in my new King James. In the King James Version, it says, According as he has chosen us. Now here, Paul really is drawing the reference, actually, back to the spiritual blessings that, 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 that we saw there in verse 3. He declares, in essence, what he's saying is, just as or in accordance with the fact that God and the, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ gave us these spiritual blessings, well, he's also chosen us for a reason and a purpose. And he goes on to explain those, and we'll get into the reason and the purpose in a moment, but for now, let's concentrate on this whole idea of choosing. He chose us in him. Just as Israel was chosen by God, Israel was chosen by God to be a demonstration of God's glory, a demonstration of God's uh, majesty to all of the nations that surrounded them. And it was not to the exclusion of everyone else. God simply said, I'm going to use you as the vessel to demonstrate my glory, my grace, my mercy to the nations that are around you. By choosing Israel to make his name known, God was not rejecting the others. We find a lot of places within the Old Testament out that, that people outside of the bloodline of Israel came to know Jehovah, the one true God. God had chosen Israel for that reason and for a purpose, not to the exclusion of any. And even as we read what Peter said, not willing that any would perish. Israel was to be a reflection of his glory. That's why God directed them in how to worship him. That's why God directed them in how to build the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple there in Jerusalem with all the implements and the things that pointed to Christ. That everything that they did in their worship was a demonstration of who God was and what God's plan and purpose was. God instructed them about the feast days and about all of their ceremonies 
God gave them instruction for everyday life so that, again, the world around them would see, wow, that is a peculiar people. They're not like we are. Beloved, it's the same declaration for you and I. We're to be that peculiar people, and Paul speaks to us about that. That the world should look at us and say, we're different than everyone else. Because of the choices that we make, because of the, the peace that we have, because of the foundation of our lives, all of these things. Israel was given all of this in order that they would be the evangelists, that they would be the messengers of good news to the world that was around them. And that's not exclusionary language. He doesn't speak of the rejection of any. What he does speak about is the infinite and eternal plan of God. To make himself known to all of his creation. And the same language, the same usage pertains to this passage here in Ephesians. Here Paul tells us, he says, We're blessed with every spiritual blessing chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy without blame before him. And what does he mean by before the foundation? God chose a channel by which he would reveal himself and that plan was determined before the foundation of the world, before creation, before the original fall, before we could have possibly chosen him. God was working his eternal plan out. Let me ask you this, what do you feel more comfortable with? Trusting a God who is infinite and omniscient, and omniscient means that he knows everything? To be able to trust a God who is infinite and omniscient to follow his plan, or for God to follow the plan of finite man with our limited intelligence and absolutely no knowledge of the future, which makes more sense to you. Absolutely, I want to follow the God who knows all, who literally is living already in tomorrow before we even get there. Because he's present there, he knows. And so if I'm following his plan, and I know he's leading my life, then I can trust him in that. But you and I, we, we have a vague memory of yesterday, we really don't understand today, and we have no clue about tomorrow. We just do not know. Otherwise, everyone would have, you know, cashed out of all of their 401ks back in uh, 2003. <laughs> Yet in all of that, this infinite, this omniscient God still chose us to be holy and blameless, representatives of himself to the world around us. Holy and blameless there in verse 4. He tells us that a portion of God's choosing was that he chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him. And just as Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles, so the church, so you and I are to be a light to the lost and the dying of all nations. Jesus told us, he says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, that's not exclusionary language. That's evangelical. That, that's, that's reaching out, man. We want the world to see the reality of Christ, because of the way that we're living. 
Our lives ought to be an example of the reality of God to the people that are around us. And I fully understand that our holiness and our blamelessness comes from our faith in Christ. I know that, that, that my holiness is because he is holy and I'm in him. And I'm blameless because my sins have been forgiven through Christ. But yet at the same time, we as believers are called to be holy because he's holy. There's choices that we need to be making. We as believers need to lay aside every sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that's set before us. We as believers are told to run in such a way as we might receive the prize. We as believers are told to lay aside all malice and, and all evil and lay aside these things. We as believers are told to put off the old and to put on the new. So there are choices, there are decisions that we are continually making again be holy and blameless before him, to be a light to the lost around us. It's through the blood of Christ, I understand that. Through the blood of Christ, he's made us acceptable in the beloved. Through the blood of Christ, he's redeemed us, he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. It tells us there that it's in love that he predestined us. Going into verse 5, I know that in the King James and in the New King James, the word there where it says to be holy and without blame before him in love. And some, again, uh, uh, translators believe that that in love actually goes with the next phrase. And it makes more sense to me on that, to say that in love having predestined us. Because of his love for us, he predestined us to adoption. No longer enemies, no longer slaves. He chose us as an act of love and compassion. We've been adopted now as sons and daughters of the king, and the inheritance is now ours in the kingdom. And we're to live as representatives of our Father in this current place and time. And it's interesting, even the words that Paul uses here, he uses adoption, he has adopted us. He could have just as easily said, as is told elsewhere, that we are born into this family, that we are born into the family of God through the rebirth, born again into that kingdom. But that's not the word that he used. Paul chose this word by the leading of the Holy Spirit. He used adoption. And you know the interesting thing about adoption? It's not the kids that choose the parents, is it? Unless it's a Disney film, and uh, that, that kind of throws everything out of whack. But for the most part, it's the parents that, that choose the children. So when he says adoption, again, it's that speaking of what God has done on our behalf. And it wasn't because we're such a desirable lot. Because we're not. I think if you looked at us amongst the kids of the orphanage, we'd be the ones that no one would want. As a matter of fact, Paul makes that pretty clear to us. A little bit later over in chapter 2, looking at verses 1 to 3 in, there in Ephesians, he says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you are we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were by our nature sons of disobedience. We were by our nature children of wrath. But God adopted us through the agency 
of Jesus Christ. When you go for an adoption, more often than not, you're to go through an agency that connects the parents with the child. And the agency that we go through is Jesus Christ Through the blood of Christ, in the beloved, because of him. And what was the overall purpose? It says it in the last portion of verse 5 and into verse 6. He says, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's all about him. Because if it was us, what a mess it would be. What a mess. Paul really wants to help us to understand what a mess we are. Because in his writings, he continually reminds us who we are. Take a moment, if you would, as we kind of end up this morning. Go over to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, Paul speaks about who these kids are in the orphanage that, that God the Father is about to choose out. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he begins, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Okay? There we've got it right there. But he goes on. He's not satisfied with that. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And as it's written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's why Paul here in Ephesians says, man, it's all to the praise and the glory of his grace. What God is working and doing in our lives. And he says, he's made us accepted in the beloved. He tells us in Ephesians. All of this is a work of Christ. Coming to us by grace, through faith. Paul gets into that in the second chapter fact is, is, there's still a choice that we all have to make. You're not just automatically in the kingdom. There's a choice that you need to make. And my hope and prayer is that each one of you listening to my voice have made that choice. But I also understand that there's possibly some in here that, that haven't made that choice. And you've been living your life either as, as just a church person, and you, you think that by being a church person everything's good and fine, but no, there's a choice that needs to be made. You have to choose to receive the gift of God's grace, the, the, the calling. You have to answer that calling. That's why he says, whosoever will may come. There's no limitation to it, but you have to be willing to come. You have to, as we read earlier, you have to choose this day whom you'll serve. God places that responsibility on us, and none of us can at the end day stand before God and says, but I wasn't among the chosen. I wasn't among the elect, so why is there fault in me? 
Because God's word declares, whoever will. God's word declares, not willing that any should perish. God's word says that God loved the world that he gave his only son. Who are you, old man or old woman? I didn't say old woman. I said old woman. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you to say that God is unfair? God has demonstrated his love over and over all We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to the website TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regular scheduled tax-deductible gift. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.